G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. You try to get rid of the uncleanness and the shame and unworthiness by external deeds. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome again to Today with Jeff Vines. Now, last time, Pastor Jeff left us hanging with a thought about how good is good enough. In this episode, we'll hear the rest of that thought and more about the confrontation in Mark where the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, confront Jesus about cleanliness. So, with freshly sanitised hands, open your Bible to Mark chapter 7 and let's hear from Pastor Jeff on Today with Jeff Vines. Grow up in a system that tells you your acceptance before God is based on merit and how much good you do, you will never have the joy and the abundant life Jesus came to bring because you will always know inside that you are unclean. And worse yet, when you try to purify yourself from outside means, you're actually going to become even more anxious. Because every time you do something wrong, you're going to think God is out to get you. And he's up there in heaven erasing your name from the book of life. And there's going to be this constant nagging question that becomes a heavy burden to you. And it's this, how good then is good enough? So we go back to that zero to hundred percent graph, remember? And you say, well, if I'm here, I just got to keep being more and more good. And I can climb that ladder and one day I'll get to the point. I don't know where it is and I hope God grades on a curve. But sooner or later, I'm going to get to the point where I can say, look God, I'm clean. I can commune with you now. You can come and commune with me. I'm good. But you always live with an agony question. How good is good enough? Or when something really bad happens to you, you automatically think it's because of something bad you did. And you think to yourself, well, if I was living a righteous and holy life, this thing would not have happened to me. Forget about the symbolism of the potter and the clay and where Jesus says he owned you, you were bought with a price and he's your whole life gonna be sharpening the rough edges. That's gonna be painful. But no, every time something bad happens to you, you think, man, I must have done something wrong. So you look like, or you see God as this big, powerful God up in heaven who's ready to zap you on earth at any point for anything you do. You feel like there's a target on your back and you've got to cower away from God. Are you with me? You try to get rid of the uncleanness and the shame and the feelings of inconsequentiality and unworthiness by external deeds. But 
Jesus says the problem with that is it won't change your heart. You'll still find yourself to be self-centered, self-justified, involved in self-absorption, self-centeredness. It's not going to change your heart. And let me tell you, I'll tell you something else that it does that's really, really bad. And that's why I said it was dangerous. When you start playing that game with God, thinking you can do enough to make yourself clean, you tend to severely overestimate your own goodness and severely underestimate God's holiness. Now, religion's the number one way. The, the, the second way, especially in America, I believe, and in affluent nations, is the whole thing of pop culture. Christina Kelly, extremely successful editor of Young Women's Magazines. For, she was the editor for uh, L Girl, for YM, for Jane, for Sassy. She delivered a conversational piece. We could call it a confessional near the end of her career. And I want every young woman in this room to listen to this. There's still hope for you. Here's what she says. Why do we humans crave celebrities? Here's my theory. To be human is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and we seek to look like them. All the great things they have done we identify with in order to escape our own inconsequential lives. But it's so dumb. With this stream of perfectly airbrushed, implanted liposuction stars, you would have to be an absolute powerhouse of self-esteem already not to feel totally inferior before them. So we worship them because we feel inconsequential. But doing it makes us feel even worse. We make them stars, but then their, fr- their fame makes us feel insignificant. I am part of this whole process, she says, as an editor. No wonder I feel soiled at the end of the day. You see what she's saying? Because we feel unworthy, because we feel unclean, and we know there's something in us that needs to be fixed or repaired, we approach it again from outside in. In the same way religion approaches it outside in and it will never work, then we attach ourselves to somebody or something that's incredibly successful, and then as long as they're doing well and we can identify with them, man, we feel like we're worthy. Hey, we're with them. We're like them. You know what, you know what we do in Los Angeles, right? We do it with what? Sports teams. Come on now. I was at Dodger Stadium last year when the Angels had a good team. (laughs) It was the fifth inning, and Anthony McMahon invited me to the game. And I think you remember, Anthony, I think we were up 10 to 3 about the fifth inning. I go up to get some popcorn, and I'm coming back, and there's a guy probably 23 years old maybe leaning against uh, one of the concrete uh, posts. And from a distance, it looked like to me he was crying. I got closer, and he was. So I said, dude, are you okay? (laughs) I can't believe we're losing, man. I said, man, it's okay. It's just, no, I can't believe the coach keeps bringing in that pitcher. I'm thinking, man, this guy. And I spent like a half an hour with him just talking to him. (laughs) It was a sad story. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him I was glad that I was actually an Angels fan. And I might have been an Angels fan, but I did not have an Angels jersey on. I'm not that dumb, especially in Dodger Stadium. And so I spoke with him and just kind of encouraged him. And I left thinking, man, this guy, his whole identity, his feelings of worth are based on whether the Dodgers win or lose. If they lose, he feels worthless. He feels insignificant, inconsequential. How many of you baseball fans remember the Steve Bartman incident? He's the guy when the Cubs were playing the Marlins in 2003 in game six, reached over and grabbed a foul ball that could have been caught by a Chicago Cubs outfielder and they probably would have gone on to win the game and the series for the first time since baseball began. (laughs) He had to be escorted out by the police 
and protected from the Chicago Cubs fans. And he went into police protection for two years because somebody published his address on an MLB website. Now, that's a whole other kind of identity theft right there. The whole city of Chicago felt they had been robbed of the joy and everything that makes them successful and meaningful, and they wanted him dead. I'm serious. They wanted to kill him. Every one of us in this room, at one time or another, has felt an inexplicable sense of inconsequentiality, that we are unclean, that we need to prove ourselves, and that we need to say to the world that we're not as tainted as we seem. And popular culture tells us, be pretty, have flawless skin, change your look, get thin, look like a celebrity, and then you will feel worthy, and you'll feel clean and honorable. Now, the problem with that is that even celebrities don't look like celebrities. The airbrush is amazing. Here is one of my favorite actresses. Now, I, I know she's still pretty, but the point is, this is the standard that we all think we have to live up to, especially women in America. I feel sorry for women in America because there's no way you can ever measure up to the standard. No way. And we're told if we look like this, we'll be happy and we'll feel consequential. We will feel worthy. We'll be all clean inside. It's a lot easier on men. Have you noticed when you go to a movie, you'll see a movie with a girl who is drop-dead gorgeous, but she's married to a guy who's average at best. We guys don't have to work that hard, evidently. <laughs> Christina Kelly goes on to say about this, celebrities themselves are incredibly unsuccessful in dealing with their sense of inconsequentiality through beauty, while the rest of us feel worse because we can't even come close. Are you with me? Jesus says, I agree that we're unclean. I agree that we know there's something in us that needs to be repaired, needs to be fixed. But we keep trying to address it from external means and that's never gonna cure the internal disease. Now, stay with me just a second. Let me open up and be real vulnerable. I've done that the last month through my illness and I, I just wanna be very honest and I want all of you who are in Christian ministry especially to listen to this. Because I know we get a lot of pastors visiting, a lot of people who are on staff at other churches just visiting on a weekend. I want you to hear me. For most of my life, I have lived with an overwhelming feeling of unworthiness. No, not you, Pastor Jeff. Absolutely. I don't know why. It's not because my mommy didn't love me. It, maybe it has something to do with I learned a lesson very early in life that if you succeed, people praise you and you could get addicted to that. But there's, there's this fight and battle of uncleanness and unworthiness. I don't know why Junior Seau killed himself and I don't want to make any statement whatsoever to think that I do. I simply want to make the statement that the names are legion of men and women who have killed themselves after playing professional sports because when the limelight is gone and you've connected your significance and sense of self-worth and cleanliness with public adoration, when it goes and then your body starts to deteriorate as well, 
you just ask yourself, what is the purpose of life? What is the use of living? I'm not saying that was Junior Seau's issue. I'm simply saying every time a major sports figure commits suicide, the questions come out again. And you start reading, you'll find them again. So many. And pastors especially have to be careful because they're just like everybody else. When you stand on a stage like this and you preach and you have people say, Pastor Jeff, what a great sermon. They write you a letter. Pastor Jeff, oh, thank you. We love you. Thank you for your last book. I really enjoyed it. You know what happens to you? You get to the point where you have to be very careful that you're not building your kingdom, that you're still building God's. And I've asked God since I was a very young age to any time I start crossing that line to slap me around a little bit, and unfortunately he has. All of us in the room, folks, we make attempts to cleanse ourselves and cover up the guilt and the shame and the inadequacy by compensating good works. But it's not going to work because it's an outside-in approach. Now, I want you to see how Jesus, this is the home stretch, stay with me. Jesus agrees, you're unclean inside. And if you're not right with God, and you can't commune with God with uncleanliness, so if you're not right with God, you can't be right with each other, and you can't be right with yourself. So here's the solution. Go back to verse 18. Again, he says, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but in his stomach, and then out of his body. And then he gives us, does Mark, a parenthetical phrase. He says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now stay with me. Mark never makes a comment like this, or hardly ever. He's kind of like Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. So when he makes a parenthetical phrase, he wants to make sure we don't miss something. He wants to make sure we understand that when Jesus said this, Jesus is saying, I call the whole world into being. I call the storm to a halt. I called a little girl back from the dead, and now I'm telling you, I'm claiming that all foods are clean. This is huge, man, because Jesus loves the Old Testament law. He says, not a jot nor a tittle will pass away without first being fulfilled. So he loves the law, but then the thing is, he stands up in front of all this huge crowd and says, all the things about food, all these uncleanliness laws, I'm telling you, I make all food clean. The cleanliness law now has been fulfilled in me. Somebody pass the hot dogs. <laughs> to understand that, I've got to take you back, and this is the finish. Man, I want you to remember this for the rest of your days. Please never forget what you're about to hear. To, to understand what he means, you've got to go back to Zechariah. In chapter 3, Zechariah has a vision. And the vision, according to verse 3, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. You know the temple, right? The outer court, and then the inner court, and then the holy of holies and a thick curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the inner court. And inside the Holy of Holies, what did you have? The Ark of the Covenant. And then on top, the mercy seat. And then on top of that, the Shekinah glory of God. So God's presence in the Holy of Holies. And if no one was allowed into the Holy of Holies except for one time of year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And if you tried to go in the Holy of Holies, and by the way, only one person was allowed that one day a year, and it was the high priest. In this case, Zechariah is seeing Joshua, the high priest of Israel. Now, here's what happens. One week before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would take the high priest, and he would be separated and isolated from the rest of Israel. And for seven days, 
He would have his food brought to him to make sure it was not defiled. For seven days, he would spend time in prayer and reading the law so that he could purify both his flesh and his spirit. And then, after seven days, he would spend a night without going to bed, immersing himself in the law of God to make sure his spirit and soul were clean as he entered the Holy of Holies. And then he would put on a spotless white robe with no stain, and he would make his way to the temple. He would enter the back way, and the whole crowd of Israel would be there, and they would be cheering him on. It was a day of celebration for them. And they would watch him very carefully as he would go up in his white robe, and he would offer a sacrifice inside the Holy of Holies. And he would sacrifice for his own sin. Then, remember, he's bathed like for seven days, not a speck of dirt on him, a clean white robe. Still, he offers the sacrifice for his own sin. Then, you know what he would do? He would remove the white robe in front of the public. Everybody would be watching. He would take it off. He would cast it aside. And then he would go back in to the Holy of Holies. But this time, there would be a screen. And you could see him. And you know what he would do back here? He would take a bath. He would take all his clothes off. Don't worry, I am not going to do that. And he, everybody would watch him scrub and clean and clean and make sure that he touched every spot. Then he would come back out a second time and he would put on another white robe that was completely spotless. And after he had done that, he would go back into the Holy of Holies and offer another sacrifice, this time on behalf of all the priests. So he offered one for himself, then he offered one for the priest. After he did that, guess what he would do? Take off the robe go back in, bathe again. And the people would see kind of a silhouette and they'd be watching and they'd be cheering him on this time. Oh, they'd be at the front of their seats. Yes, go man, go kind of thing. And he would clean himself all over. And then he would come out a third time and he would put on yet another distinct robe that was clean, spotless, without blemish. And then he would go back in. And this time he would offer a sacrifice for the people and atone for their sins. And they would be at the front of their seats cheering him on because they knew on this day their sins would be forgiven. Now you have to understand that to get the meaning of what Zechariah sees because in the vision, he sees Joshua, the high priest of Israel, going into the Holy of Holies, offering a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And guess what he sees in the vision? Joshua's robe is covered in excrement. And Zechariah sees the vision and he thinks, how could this ever happen? The Hebrews would never allow that to happen. The high priest go in covered in filth like this. And Zechariah gets the message from God that no matter how much we try to clean ourselves inside, God still sees us as spiritually unclean, as unworthy of inconsequential. And just as Zechariah is about to weep and give up hope, the vision says, as the angel speaks, take off his filthy clothes. See, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And I'm sure Zechariah says, a single day? How are you gonna do that? One day. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. And here's the answer. One day, another Joshua is going to come. Yeshua, 
Jesus. They're all the same names in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And he too is going to have his day of atonement. And he too is going to stay awake the night before. And he's going to be beaten. And he too is going to have a robe. But the only robe he has is going to be taken from him. And they're going to crucify him on a cross without his robe. And he too is bathed, but he's bathed in human spit. And he goes to the cross to offer atonement for past, present, future sin. That we may be seen by God as clean and worthy to come into the presence of God. It is not anything you have done, but it's what's been done for you. And now, in 2 Corinthians, we're told, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Two ways to be righteous, right? One, keep the law perfectly, or two, pay the penalty for breaking it. You can't keep it perfectly. You don't want to pay the penalty for breaking it because the wages of sin, death. So Jesus dies death. His death on the cross. And in the words of Isaiah, who understood this vision, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He gave you a robe. And it's nothing you did. It's not by attaching yourself to an athletic team or to a movie star or religious good deeds. It's simply all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And since you know that, why would you not come? Why would you not come and give your life to Christ? Man, that's just good stuff, isn't it? Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the reality of who we are and allowing us, helping us, in fact, inspiring us to come face to face with what is truly in our hearts and the various attempts we make to overcome. When in reality, you have done it all for us. And it is what separates you from every other religious leader or system that we are saved by grace through faith. I pray if there's anyone that does not have the robe of righteousness through the cross, that today they would receive it. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Bynes. I hope you're getting a lot out of these messages from Mark and asking yourself, how and where do I need to apply this to my life? Next time, we'll have another message like this in the Remarkable series. Here's a bit of what's to come. Truth is most powerful when we have to work to discover it. Truth discovered has greater impact than truth presented. With Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines.
Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 